At Push My Buttons Podcast, you can get all the gaming news, as well as information on latest releases and game reviews. You can also watch us play some of your favorite games, everything from Sonic the Hedgehog to God of War, on YouTube and Twitch. Follow us on all the social media and listen on all of your favorite apps. Just search for Push My Buttons Podcast. Think of the children! You must walk feminine, talk feminine, smile and beguile feminine, utilize your femininity, that's what every girl should know, if she wants to catch a bow. Oh, won't somebody please think of the children? Okay, first, I'm not a princess. I'm the daughter of the chief. Same difference. No. If you wear a dress and you have an animal sidekick, you're a princess. I think you can kiss your trade franchise goodbye. Hey everybody, welcome back to another very special episode of Kiss Your Franchise Goodbye, the movie podcast where normally we talk about movie franchises, but sometimes we go off the beaten path, and every year for our birthday, each of us gets a special wish to bring in a non-franchise movie, and this year, for her birthday, our returning champ, Melissa, has chosen... Dirty Rotten Scoundrels. Uh, Melissa, cue this up for us. Why'd you choose this movie? What what makes it something you wanted to talk about? So there's a few reasons. Um, one of them is that I I last year I chose Barfy, a movie which we all ended up loving. Um, and that was, you know, there was a comedy element to it, yes, but it was more drama than comedy, probably, and a little bit of a tearjerker, especially at the end. This year, you know, things have gotten so heavy in the world. You know, there's there's just so much going on, and I I think personally, all of us here, to some you know degree, and at different times throughout the year, or for some of us even continuously, um, we've had some hard times. You know, there's been a lot of of uh, things that that all of us have had to deal with in our personal lives and maybe even professional or in some cases both. And I just wanted something that was happy, that we could laugh, not take too seriously. Um, And and also because it's just going to be impossible for me to find a movie like Barfy, which nobody else had ever seen and that was so good. so I just decided not to try and live up to that movie and just go for something funny. And it was between this and another movie, a more recent one called Tucker and Dale versus Evil, which I still hope we can oh, so find good. a way to talk about here on the podcast at some point because that movie is so good. Oh, yeah. but they're both just kind of like fun movies. There is like a little bit of social commentary in each of them, but, you know, you still don't. You know, it's not something that's so ponderous that it's just that it feels heavy or anything. These are light, fun movies, and I just felt like we needed we needed that. You know, because even we just finished up Toy Story, which you know are kind of classified as comedies, but there's a lot of heaviness in them too. You know, a lot of contemplative stuff. These movies, I don't think you have to go there. You just they're just like popcorn movies. And so, um, yeah, I hadn't, and also I just selfishly hadn't seen this movie in quite a while and I thought it would be fun to revisit and see how it kind of held up. Same here. Yeah. Like I literally don't, I don't think I've seen this movie since the nineties. Yeah. Same. Like, Agreed. 
it seems like one of those movies that was on TV a lot and like just uh, you know would always catch and be like oh yeah I'll, I'll watch 20 minutes of this and you know while I'm doing laundry or whatever so um, love it it's absolutely wonderful um, I I want to maybe though see if we can take um, I know that a couple of us this was our first time watching it um, so Kit if I could pick on you for one second and see what you thought about this as your first time through what how did how did you react to this i had very mixed reactions to this i would say overall positive like you know for the time it was made and like the performances given were great as a disability activist, this obviously is going to, like, get under my skin. <laughs> oh, yeah. As, like, oh, oh, that's offensive. Oh, that's, that's real offensive. But at the same time, like, it's not like it was being held up as these guys are paragons of virtue. It's these guys are jackasses. Right. Um, especially Steve Martin's character. But uh, I have to say, like just the visuals of the movie like the characterization of of them as people like when your first like sight of michael kane is how oily his hair is it's just like oh i just want to live tweet this whole thing about how oily michael kane is <laughs> and then well, how disheveled steve martin is as a foil and then when you realize later on when they're doing the transformation of Steve Martin and it's like, it's probably not oily. It's probably crusty. Yeah. Because they've got these like giant handfuls of that pink 80s hair gel oh. and they're just slathering it on. It's like, oh, no, his his hair is pro. It looks oily, but it's probably like shellacked. He's, he's got a helmet on. In yeah. case of, you know, collision. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> the oh, great thing the about is, is also knowing how strongly that hair gel smells. Mm -hmm. Like that you could probably smell Michael Caine across the set. Um, just coming and going. Be like, hello, I have a cloud. Um, so. <laughs> uh, yep. But oh, overall, like yeah it's it's made to be problematic it makes me want to find the musical with daniel radcliffe and john lorquette i don't remember um but it makes me want to find that album and listen to it again because like i remember watching it or listening to it being like i have no idea what the hell is going on here so i'm turning this off so i there the musical I think the original Broadway cast was John Lithgow and yes. Norbert Leo Butts was, but Daniel Rad, that's right. Daniel Radcliffe was in that at some point, wasn't he? I, uh, I'd forgot. I think that, that like, I don't know that ring that rang a bell for me. And he did. Yeah, and it's but. just, it's, I think it's me trying to stick Harry Potter into either of those characters was like half the comedy of the, that film for me. It's just like, yeah. I, 
I, I know I know Daniel Radcliffe isn't Harry Potter. I'm aware, guys. I'm sorry. Um, um he, he's he's much more than that, but it's <laughs> very funny. You know, okay. I think I think what we might be uh, conflating it with is, I think at the time he was in How to Succeed in Business. <gasps> That's it. My bad. Time. Can we just cut that whole part out? Now I feel dumb. No, it's all. Well, I mean, we can. But, <laughs> no, it's um, okay, guys. I was yeah. dumb. Um, yeah, but uh, yeah, Norbert Leo Butts is is great in in almost everything. So now I'm gonna have to go listen to that. Well, and this is this is less problematic than the original. Oh Rambo. yeah, the original. Holy That's smoke. what I wanted to talk about. Yeah, bedtime like, story is. I mean, especially the ending. I love how they changed the ending compared to the original, which is ugh, so yuck. There, there's yeah. another one of these. Well, the, there's in the two. They made. Yeah, they made the bedtime story, which is Brando and I think David Niven, right, yeah. Andy? Yep. And that one, the ending of that is totally different, and it's really just kind of gross. Oh, um, yep. And this one, the, I mean, the ending of this, and I, I know we'll talk about it, but it's, I, I, I'm really glad, Melissa, you picked it because it's one of my favorite endings of a comedy ever. Um, because yes. it allows both characters who are uh, obviously the other thing I like, Melissa, is I feel like we don't get movies where people love filming them anymore, and you can just totally tell this whole time how much they're having fun making mm -hmm. this movie. I mean, you can just see Michael Caine like Steve Martin is cracking me up over here when he does stuff. Like it's just so much fun to watch this, but the ending is is just tremendous. And and yeah, the original ending, gosh, she she ends up hooking up with him and turning into this weird housewife kind of character. And it's yeah, Andy, I don't know if you had more on it, but it's just kind of not yeah. as satisfying of an ending. I, I think it's so crazy. Like, normally I'm like, no, no franchise movies. I didn't know that this was a franchise movie. Yeah, it kind of is. It. I mean, you don't really count the hustle after, but it's sort of the same. I mean, but you kind of do. Yeah, I mean, it really is. Because I came into this thinking like, oh, you know, it's interesting. Why, why haven't they remade Dirty Rotten Scoundrels? And yet. And they <laughs> did. And it's terrible. And yeah. so, it's so completely forgettable that we literally all forgot about it in 2019 and Hathaway and rebel Wilson remade this as the hustle. And okay. So I, I went and I, I rewatched bedtime story and the hustle um, as, or I shouldn't say rewatched. I watched them both of those for the first time. I okay. rewatched dirty rotten scoundrels. And then I watched both of those and i watched all three of them right in a row basically um dirty rotten scoundrels is so good and those other two are just not and it's there's so much magic here um despite it's more problematic elements and it's i think that the biggest problem in the 2019 update is that recasting this with women in the main roles and a man as their mark is not the flex that they think that it is. Um, because they keep the same ending and it's like, wait a minute. So in the new one, 
the man is the better con man and he took advantage of the women like that's that's terrible that's a terrible message uh although on the upside he was a tech billionaire that they thought that they were going after so the moral of the story being tech billionaires are the biggest con men out there yes that is true that that um, part worked out yeah that part worked <laughs> but but the rest of the movie very much not um although i giggled at a couple of things and and kit to your point they did try to update the the problematic elements with the like rather than the wheelchair and not being able to walk rebel wilson pretends she is blind for a third of the movie um i i don't i don't know that that's better it is not and it is somehow dealt with less deftly and they're just like and the i i think the the other really big thing is that like bedtime story is kind of a different movie the hustle is like a beat for beat remake of dirty rotten scoundrels they have the train scene they have a train scene they have the you know uh they have the the gambling scene in the casino they have the gambling scene in the casino and it's it's all exactly the same bedtime story at least they're they're doing something a little bit different and uh dirty rotten scoundrels was very much an adaptation of of what bedtime story was. Uh, and originally, um, <laughs> the, the really crazy thing about it, um, the original idea was they were going to remake bedtime story starring David Bowie <laughs> and Mick Jagger. <laughs> And a weird gonna... labyrinth too. Like I don't know how that's gonna work. I would yeah. have paid so much money to see that movie. <laughs> uh, that was originally going to be Dirty Rotten Scoundrels, and then, and then they passed on it, and they brought Frank Oz on to direct, and he put out a wider casting call for for other people. Uh, he offered the Michael Caine role first to John Cleese, who turned it down. So then he went to Cleese's Monty Python co-host, uh, Michael Palin, who'd just done A Fish Called Wanda, and had him read for it. Um, and then, uh, ironically, uh, he'd, he'd also, he'd brought in Steve Martin, um, and they were supposed to read together. Uh, Martin had prepared for uh the other role and so he's like well no why don't you try being the freddie benson role and he was not really prepared for that but he's like oh okay sure and frank oz just like fell in love with him playing freddie benson he's like okay well palin is jameson i don't know maybe they went and they offered it to um to michael kane um but they kept steve martin as as freddie benson so um, yeah, that's, that's how we got our, our dirty rotten scoundrels. Um, so, uh, crazy how this, this movie kind of, kind of came about. And, um, I know JB, you wanted to talk about 
like this crazy run that Steve Martin was on at this time. Yeah, I mean, if you look at, you know, one of the things you and I've always talked about is like 10 year runs that people have had and hard to compete with, for example, like the Eddie Murphy run of the 80s. But if you think about how good Steve Martin was, I mean, let's say you start with 86 with Three Amigos and then you go from there, Little Shop of Horrors, Roxanne, Planes, Trains and Automobiles, Dirty Rotten Scoundrels in 88, Parenthood. L.A. story, Father of the Bride, um, and then, you know, it kind of tapers off in the the mid-90s with Leap of Fate, Mixed Nuts, things like that. But, I mean, even if you go back a little further in the 80s to um, Dead Men Don't Wear Played, which is, or Plaid, which is underrated, Man with Two Brains. I mean, you've got a set of you know, 10, 8 to 10 movies that y- you don't find anywhere else. Right. And I know, Andy, we could go a little further back to the Muppet movie where he played the insolent waiter um, and the jerk, um, which which in some ways changed a lot of comedy. Um, it's it's really just he an hates these cans. He <laughs> really hates these cans. And, and, and to be fair, I think Bernadette Peters is what makes that movie. Um, but but really, I mean, think about the just in like a six year period here is just changing the face of comedy because you know he's one of those people that was not only funny but um kinesthetically funny right like much of his comedy is nonverbal, um with you know his his facial features and um some of the things he did and, and that i think that's just such a great run um of movies and and you know melissa this this movie is just a, a perfect example of what makes his humor work um and Michael Caine, of course, the perfect person to play off of that. Um, and I so think anyway, that it's a might, great, it's a great run scene in the movie yeah. is the like teaching him how to be a gentleman and just like them walking in front of the pool <laughs> and between those pillars and the things he's doing. It's just he's so good. Yeah, the whole part where he he pretends to be like where he leans on and then he pours the um champagne all ridiculous and picks the flower out and <laughs> all the leaning he's doing and then having michael kane clap at the end like that was just such a very clever three minute scene you know but yeah it's it's really a, a run of an incredible comedian um that, that you'd be hard pressed to find i mean one movie after the other kind of right like like we always laugh with credence albums you're doing a movie every six months and they're all amazing. Yeah. Um, pretty similar with him. So yeah, this is, this is just an in- incredible movie for that point. Uh, watching two really good people at their craft. Yeah. Uh, and really at the top of their game too. So, um, Oh, I, and I should mention at, at some point, Eddie Murphy was also considered for the Freddie Benson role, which would have made a lot of sense. Um, yeah. But I think would have been a very, very different movie. So, uh, I'm glad they, I'm glad they went, uh, towards, towards this. Brooke, as, as someone else who also just saw this movie for the first time, what were your first impressions of it? Um, I felt like it was just, I felt like it was delightful. Okay. I watched it with Prudence and she and I sat and at first she was like, (laughs) working on this school report that she had to do. And she was like, we're going to watch an old movie 
And I was like, uh-huh. <laughs> like, you need to do your homework anyway, so I don't care if you like it or not. Um, and we're going to watch this. And then I would say within about 15 minutes, there was no more homework getting done at all. Uh-huh. She was totally, totally. And she was laughing. Like, she thought it was really clever. And a lot of the same things. Like, I haven't exposed her much to Steve Martin's humor yet. Um, we watched Three Amigos when she was really little, but like she's she's very much that same type of character in and of herself, the way that she makes humor and things. And so she was really, really enjoyed the whole thing. And and the parts that were deplorable and despicable were like so intentional that it made it easy to really just dis- be disgusted by them in those moments. Um, and I, I liked that. I liked that they let it be like, they weren't trying to redeem those actions in any way. They weren't trying to make them respectable at all. Like it was blatantly horrible. Um, and we just sat and watched a really fun movie together and laughed. And she saw another side of humor. I mean, she's been talking a lot about getting into drama and theater. And it was just it was just really fun to sit and watch it together and to laugh. And, and she kind of called it right at the beginning. She's like, I think that she's the con person. Or at least I want her to be. And I was like, yeah, I think you might be right on that. But it didn't... It didn't take away from enjoying the movie at all. And then, like, my my very favorite part of the whole movie was just the very, very end. Where they get off the yacht, she's talking in her accent, they all do their, play their little parts. And that one second when she speaks in her real voice, which isn't either of the other character voices she's been speaking in, right before they walk inside, and she's, like completely in control of the situation that was my favorite part of the whole movie I, I just thought it was delightful so thank you Melissa yeah and it's very like classic Hollywood um, like I don't know it struck me as like very like Doris Day Mae West just like come on boys I'll show you how it's really done like that sort of uh, bravado and confidence and yeah it's so good. The Yeah, and it's like she knows she's still playing them when she comes back up. And so she stays in that voice that they knew her in for the the entire for the whole scene. She just stays in that that little doe-eyed voice. And then as soon as she's got them on board, she's like, "All right, let's go." <laughs> and I was like, "You're brilliant. I really like you." Uh, all three of them just gel so well as a as a cast and mm-hmm. I'm, I'm really I'm really amazed at all that um do we do we want to talk about the the problematic disability elements real quick and delve into that a bit more because I I don't want to completely gloss over that um but I'm I'm here for it whenever you guys are here for it but I'll let you go first. Uh, well, I just sort of want to tee it up. Like, obviously, uh, it, this is bad because um, there is, you know, there is a, there is often a view from from people that, that people who use wheelchairs or any other 
mobility assistance um, are are potentially faking it or they don't really need it they don't really need these accommodations etc etc um and this movie definitely plays into it i will say uh it is a huge improvement on what it was in bedtime story where marlon brando is 800 times worse and um in in what in what he's doing so i mean i guess i guess that's just what how this all works we we get slightly better every uh every generation but um yeah kit i don't know if you what else you want to say about that or we could talk like how do we get around this so i think in this movie it was definitely like it was a salient plot point and so my biggest problem was not with the wheelchair like the wheelchair was was obviously a visual like physical disability but he you know was like oh it's caused by mental illness and it's like yes mental illness can cause physical disability my biggest problem was rubriced and oh. I say that as someone who works with adults with behavior problems and developmental disabilities. So I'm like, I've seen a lot of the stuff that they're portraying Rupert doing across about 20 different people. Mm-hmm. And, but not all of it. And I found that to be the most like problematic and offensive thing because I, it was. It was just so I, I I don't have a good adjective for it, but it was it was like I guess like Book of Mormon where like they got some parts right, but they got so much wrong and it was but it was wrong for the sake of comedy. And so you're making fun of not someone's culture or their religion, but you're making fun of somebody's like actual state of mind and ability level and like for for comedy and it's pretty common in the 80s to and 90s and like honestly even today to either have like um you know the either the token inspirational character or the like you know fake fake dd guy and um I, I just, I, I, I guess I'm kind of tired of the fake DD guy um, trope and the inspiration porn, honestly. Um, I would like to see actual representation. And I don't think we're going to get actual representation from a movie that was made, what, like 30 years ago? Yeah. Um, so I don't expect that. I just, you know, it's I just kind of have to, like, say it as an advocate, like, hey, if they make it again... No rubric, um, and and honestly, like find find a different way to to get your comedy than you know trying to pretend that you have a disability because there's a lot of people living with very real, visible, and invisible disabilities that you know are being discriminated against because this is how they're portrayed in Hollywood. So that's what people think that they are. So interesting. Then I. One one of the things that they did do in the hustle is the Ruprecht scenes 
Rebel Wilson is basically just kind of like a weird Renfair nerd. And she's like locked in her dungeon and she has all of these like mannequins that she's playing with. And it's not so much like it's played as like developmental disability. It's just like, oh, she's a weird nerd who is like really incredibly socially awkward. Um, so I don't know if that's better. Although there there were a couple things I mentioned. I, I chuckled a couple of times in in that movie. There were a couple of things in there that I that I thought were funny. Um, so that is interesting that they were able to do that. I think, um, yeah, I think it's just going to be like that, that system is going to be problematic. Cause yeah, it's like, I, I remember laughing at that scene in the hustle and I didn't watch it again. Cause I, I didn't draw that like uh, line between them. I must've you know missed that. But uh, I, and it, it's funny because you know there are a lot of a lot of us neurodivergence in the nerd scene, and so it's like mm-hmm. it could be, but I don't think that that's what was the takeaway in um, in the hustle as much. So good job, hustle. That's that's one point for you. One but, point for you. <laughs> um, but that said, like the physical comedy of of Rubric and like the the smashing things and just like. If it wasn't such a, you know, a terrible representation of, of somebody with a disability, it would have been hilarious because Steve Martin did a great job comedically. It's just the content is problematic. (laughs) And that is, that is the problem is it is so good. The whole, like the applesauce scene and he has the cork on the fork. And he's like, yes, well, why, why does he have the great. cork on the fork? Oh, so he doesn't hurt himself. And then he hits himself right where the eye patch is. And then later on, he like lifts up the eye patch and he's fine. But like, he's still wearing the eye patch. It's just, that is a really well-constructed joke and bit. But yeah, like bad. <laughs> so, uh, oh, yeah. It's it's so hard. Um, so okay, Kit. That brings up though. I'm so you'd seen the hustle before and never. I mean, obviously made the um, the connection. Has anyone else seen the hustle? Nope. 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 Never even heard of it. Honestly, it sounds terrible. It is kinda. It's a. It's a walmart dollar store version of dirty rotten scoundrels it's not it's not great and that's so sad because i actually like rebel wilson and i like anne hathaway and i obviously like dirty rotten scoundrels just that movie did not work i'd also like to say that there was about i'm going to tell on myself here there was about 15 minutes in which i fell asleep um, okay. Which must have been the part that you were just talking about, Kit, because I didn't see that part. <laughs> ah. So I'm gonna have to go back through and rewatch that part. But maybe that's well, then, why I just found the whole thing just delightful. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> well, then that's that's good. You missed out on the the problematic part. Um, they 
they have Steve Martin locked up in a dungeon uh, in the in the basement of the house. Not and, an Andy type dungeon. Not an so Andy you know. type dungeon. No, just it's very a, different. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I know. I would have been excited too, but it's different. Uh, that's more like the there room that Rebel Wilson is in. <laughs> that's true. There was a tub. There was a cloth tub. Well done. <laughs> but um, you know, it's the Michael Caine is seducing, you know, rich American women, and then uh, as soon as they're like, "Oh, well, we'll we'll move to Tulsa," you know, next week, and he's like, "Great. Well, I'll bring Ruprecht, my uh, my younger." my younger brother oh who's Ruprecht and then they go down and he's you know it's like oh he's the 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 developmentally disabled oh. um, um, you know younger brother and he's exhibiting all sorts of like bad uh, uh, yeah bad behaviors okay and, see here I thought I missed nothing no and I missed a really horrible part but yeah you missed the you missed the kind of bad part, a kind of yeah. Um, and I I don't know it. It also felt like a bit that could have been dropped from the movie as well. Like they didn't need to have done that. Um, it is, ironically though, one of the one of the pieces that was done in all three movies. Uh. That was that was something that had survived from the uh, David Niven Marlon Brando version, and boy, the Marlon Brando version Ugh. way more problematic. Good heavens! And, and not anywhere near as good. Uh, he is just a monster, and it's awful. It's awful. So, um, yeah, um. Kit, I don't. Do you, so talk to me since you've also seen the hustle. Do you sort of do you agree with my take that like that gender swapping was actually like really the like worst idea, or do you think like no, you see what they were getting at and it was okay. Um, I kind of see what they were getting at. I agree that it, it was done in such a way that it wasn't the flex at the end that we were hoping for. Um, but it, it's sad. I feel like individually Anne Hathaway was, was okay and Rebel Wilson was charming, but it was just, it didn't come together well. Yeah. And um, they didn't have the chemistry that Kane and Martin had to begin with. Um, so they they weren't quite at like loggerheads the way that they were, um, and I, I honestly like I saw it once in 2019, so right <laughs> I can't be like I have really strong views about this. I just remember being like, okay, I watched that, um, right? Which is probably it probably would anger Melissa because I can watch a movie and be like, okay, I watched that. That's two hours of my life, but you know, it's, it is what it is. Um, I'm not like I don't remember being angry like it was two hours. I'm not going to get back, but uh, you know, no, because it's not a bad movie. It just considering that they're trying to remake Dirty Rotten Scoundrels, it, it doesn't feels... have that magic. 
Yeah. Because there, there was definitely, like, I watched this, and within, like, 30 seconds, I'm like, you son of a bitch, I'm in. You got me. Yeah. <laughs> like, I was there for the ride the whole time, even through the problematic bits. I'm like, all right, it was the 80s. <laughs> <laughs> well, and I think that there is part of this movie that is inherently about male rivalry and insecurity Mm-hmm. And that's the whole point of the movie is these two guys are so focused on their their own shit between each other. They never would conceive in a million years that they were being taken for a ride. Like, that's the beauty of Dirty Rotten Scoundrels is, you know, they start off on the train and... Steve Martin's like, you know, we're the weaker sex and, and here's why. And, you know, goes on this whole tirade and it's like, yeah, you know what? You're right. Men are dumb. And the entire subtext of the movie, unbeknownst to the two main characters is about how, how dumb and how pointless their existence is. They just don't know that. And we don't know that until the very end. And I think we, I think, like, you know, Rebel Wilson and Anne Hathaway were never really, like, catty with each other. They weren't, like, really competitive with each other. While they didn't have, like, the magnetism that uh, Kane and Martin do, they... They, I don't know, the rivalry just never really felt as real either. Um, so, I don't know. It's just, it's just a weak sauce remake. So, anyway, don't watch it. It's not worth it. <laughs> TLDR. <laughs> Stay away from um, it. <laughs> just, oh yeah, that that's right. They redid that. I think it's a missed opportunity, though. Because it feels like there is an opportunity to, like, remake this movie in a way that is interesting and have it be about something more. And um, I don't know. I I feel like that particular version, like, obviously. I think what you don't do is you don't try to beat for beat remake Dirty Rotten Scoundrels. But you make a Dirty Rotten Scoundrels-esque film uh, with characters of similar names. Um, who are, It's about two con artists conning each other who end up getting conned by someone because they're too blind uh, by, uh, by their own competition that they're actually being taken by the person that they thought was their mark. That's a smart movie but um yeah it's hard though right because how do you remake this in a world where everything's a scam now right yeah well i think i think that it i was actually thinking about that is like wouldn't that be the the interesting thing to do is like actually talk about how everything is a scam and like we'd see like Freddie Benson has this like troll farm 
of like people that he's trained or that she's trained to like run Instagram scams on people and like try and get their credit card numbers and like just get them to send them money through Venmo like $20, $50 at a time and he's like actually like making a decent amount of money on this. Um, you know, I, I feel like there's there's ways to there's ways to like delve into this and have it be about like the oh the 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 little guy running little scams versus the like the person who you know who who only hunts uh who only hunts for the lions and uh the the little you know trying to level up the little guy against the other one um, i don't know i think there's a way to do it but I do you just turn I, it into I, dirty rotten Robin Hoods? I feel like you're just remaking Maybe. the social network is really what you did without <laughs> music. Well done. Well what I what was fun was in the, the first like sentence I was like so starring George Clooney and Julia Roberts in <laughs> right. competition with each other. They always like are so great fighting. And then I was like then I went through like starring Jonah Hill and Channing Tatum. And then, yeah, you know, now yeah. at the end, it's like starring Dwayne the Rock Johnson and Kevin Hart <laughs> and Kevin Hart. <laughs> yep, it's always yeah. gonna be Dwayne and Kevin Hart. Yeah, it, 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 I mean, I think any of those pairings would be interesting. I think it would be interesting to do like, I don't know, have like a really suave, um, uh, like an Idris Elba or, uh, um. Dwayne Johnson pa or Pedro Pascal. <laughs> yeah, Sebastian and like, Stan and Anthony Mackie rejoin for Dirty Rotten. Oh my gosh, Hell Sebastian no. Stan and Anthony Mackie might be interesting. Um, yeah. I could do that, um, but like I don't know, or like I, 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 I want to put like Lupita Nyong'o in like everything because I think she's just Lupita Nyong'o and Dan Levy. Oh my god. Oh, interesting. Cuz we need more queer representation. We do need more Dan Levy in anything though. And yeah. and that's that's yeah. the other thing that I think would be key is that you have to also keep like the sexual dynamics working in the film and so like everybody has to be like very sexually fluid. And I think that's I'm that here for it. Makes it makes it interesting. So um, I mean, we almost got that with the unbearable weight of massive talent. Yeah, kinda. <laughs> almost. Like, but that's that's an interesting movie where it, it is about like there being, it's kind of a con movie. Like, mm -hmm. it's it's kind of a spy movie. It's kind of an adventure movie, but it is about like the con. Nicolas Cage trying to you know run a con and yeah. But then being part of the con and not knowing it, mm -hmm. and yeah. not knowing that the the turn is spoiler alert for the unbearable weight of massive talent. You know, Pedro Pascal is not who he thinks he is, and yeah. not who the CIA thinks he is, and so yeah. Probably my favorite out of everything besides the ending, because I know, you, like Brooke, you said that you improve sort of guess the twist at the end. I was. I don't remember how old I was. I mean, this movie when I when it came out, I was like twelve. So, you know, I was probably somewhere around Prue's age, maybe when I first saw it. Um, but I, I 
think that kids today are far more clever than we were <laughs> when we were their age. So I did not guess. And so the ending, when when the, you know it was revealed that that Janet wasn't really Janet and she just took them for a ride, I like practically cheered um, because I didn't see it coming. And I love that the woman got one over on the men because yes. even today we don't see that a lot. But in 1988, I mean, that was like unheard of. How dare you make the woman more clever and smarter than the men, especially two of them. You know what I mean? Like that just didn't happen yep. back then very much. And, and so I, and that's part of the reason why. I love this movie so much. Yes, there's a lot of great bits, but the ending, you know, um, that she was the con artist the entire time and, and took them for a ride was just amazing. And, and I do love too, how like the very different reactions they had, like Steve Martin was mad. Like he had any right to be mad that he got con when he's conning people. But Michael Caine was like clever girl kind of, you know, like he, he, he didn't like that his money was stolen, but he appreciated the hell out of the fact that she got what, like, he could appreciate it. He saw it for what it was. Yeah. Um, also, I do love that Jameson, when he found out that she was poor, was like, no, no more. We're not. And he went to great lengths to try and protect her. Yeah. Um, which is a little patriarchal, yes. But he actually had a code, you know, there actually is a little honor for this thief, you know, whereas of course, Steve Martin's character is just like, you know, didn't give a shit, you know, um, I, I really, I did not like Michael Caine's character very much until that point. I did not like Jameson until it sh he showed that he actually had some scruples about this because quite frankly, and I wouldn't have thought this when I first saw it, but the fact that he's only stealing from people who won't even notice it really because they're so filthy rich, um, like, I'm kind of okay with that. Yes, it's illegal. Yes, it's not right. But I'm not mad about it, you know, because fuck those people. Because if somebody has that much money, they're probably getting it off the backs of people like, us you know who are working really hard and underpaid and overworked and you know nobody gets mu that much money without some kind of shadiness somewhere you know what i'm saying um so the fact that he did have some honor and only stole it from people who maybe even deserved it i i was so okay with that and, and that's a big change from when i first saw this movie i loved that he had that honor, that that code, if you will, and he wouldn't steal from somebody who was poor. Um, yeah, it, it, because a lot of scams today, y'all are talking about how everything's a scam. Uh, so many scams today, they they target like the vulnerable and the poor who can't okay. afford to be scammed, and and that makes me double angry about it. But this is so different. Um, and I'm wondering, like, does, did any of you sort of feel that way? Am I the only one who was kind of like almost cheering that he stole from rich people? No, I loved it. And in fact, one of they go into this a little bit more in Bedtime Story. He like has this whole philosophy about how 
rich people got rich and they did it un unjustly and because they were exploiting people along the way and then they died and gave all their money to these rich widows and they don't really deserve it so it's okay to scam from them because he's taking he's taking what what was taken from other people and then he has this other whole philosophy about how he goes and like supports local artisans and like I am a patron of the art and I keep this silversmith in business and I pay this sculptor to make great art and I pay this painter to do this and I'm like oh that's interesting there's like there's something to this and they that doesn't really exist in in Dirty Rotten Scoundrels but although he does talk about like the reason to have money is not to spend it but it's to like you know, to have a beautiful garden and to have like a basement full of wine or or whatever, um, which is interesting. Um, I felt so, that way too, though, Melissa. Like when I when I said a minute ago, like that they should remake it by calling it "Dirty Rotten Robin Hoods." Mm-hmm. Like, I felt very like I was totally okay with him doing it the way that he did, especially yeah, since most of those women were most likely getting the money from their husbands. So, like, sure, take it. Yeah, and you know the dirty rotten scoundrels could be the two main characters, or they could be the people that they're stealing from. Yeah. Right, the rich people, I should say, that they're stealing from. One of the things that I always love about this movie too, it sets us up from like the very first frames. You know, we don't even see Michael Caine's face; we just see the jewels, we see the hands, and it's like please take this i i want you to and he's like no i can't and please do it think about the freedom of your people no my people are far too proud well then think of the children do it for the children he's like fine for the children i'll do it and it's like well and of course i love the you know think of the children but um the uh the whole the whole point of the scam and they never say this explicitly, is you get someone to give you something of their own free will that they won't feel bad about having given up. Um, They don't feel like they were scammed. And um, that's, you know, and, and so at the very end, when he's like handing over his money, uh, when Michael Caine is, is handing over uh his money he's doing it because he thinks this poor woman got fleeced by you know this this bounder that i that i unleashed on her and it's my job to make it right um yeah it is it is the perfect scam and i think he recognizes like he got played by the exact same thing that the exact same tactics he employed and I just, it's so brilliant. It's so smart. And Melissa, the look on his face when he realizes it, as opposed to Steve Martin's, like, I felt the same way. I loved the way that he just smiles. And it's almost like he fell in love with her at that moment where he was. Yeah. Like, he, he gained like a big appreciation yeah. for her. Yeah, I and, love that. I I did too, and, and and I don't think I noticed that when I first saw this because I was a kid. You know, you don't 
notice the little things like that or, or you maybe you see them but you don't exactly know what they mean you know so that's another reason why i really loved revisiting this because it opened my eyes to certain things that i didn't see and and i, I don't think they were going for social commentary but i think because of the world we live in where all of the wealth is is situated at the top and the rest of us get scraps i feel like it I maybe I read my own social commentary into it, you know, um, but I saw it differently, and yet I still enjoyed it a lot. I I really did love uh, this movie. Still, you know, there's not a lot of comedies that hold up, like you know, twenty something, thirty years later, um, and this one I feel kind of does. I mean, yes, there are the problematic parts, but. I mean, shit, they remade this movie, what, two, three years ago? And they still didn't get rid of all the problematic parts. They almost doubled down, it sounds like. So, right. you know, clearly we haven't learned anything, or Hollywood hasn't, at least. Um, but it, it's even with the, the problematic parts, um, the thing about the problematic parts is they were done purposely. Like, they, these men are supposed to be problematic. You know, they're mm -hmm. supposed to do problematic things. Um you know, it wasn't like accidentally problematic. Like I feel so much stuff is today where, where whoever made it doesn't even realize it because they're dumb or not paying attention or something. So yeah, that was a lot to really love here. Um, I'm glad I decided on this one. Although, like I said, I do hope we can watch Tucker and Dale at some point, but um, yeah. I, I, I have to, really alongside it. Evil Dead, it just seems like a really great, like, yeah, that would I be the perfect place, dead. right? Yeah. The, like, teenagers go out to a remote cabin and everybody starts ending up dying. It just, yeah. it, it, it's, it's like, yeah. Yeah. Anyway. um, Yeah, this movie's so great for all the reasons you said. And it really does, like, that's the other problem with, like, why remake this movie? You could just release it today. It's not like... Michael Caine or Steve Martin have gone anywhere. If anything, they're like bigger stars now. Mm -hmm. um, and it's, you know, it, it, it works. Uh, ex with the exception of one thing that I'll bring up in, in studio notes. I mean, I think there's nothing that really needs to be updated about this movie. It's really timeless. One of the things that I really liked about it is that every turn that they take in this movie is clever they're not yeah. being hurtful or um malicious or any of these like very vindictive things like they're not playing even though it's called dirty rotten scoundrels they're not playing dirty against each other they're playing off of each other and very very like each step just gets a little bit more clever so that they can keep it subtle instead of it blowing up in any way and they're not outing each other. They're just continuing the bit in each new stage. And I, I thought that was really nice. I liked that. I liked that it was clever. Yeah. It's, it's one of those rules of like theatrical improv theater that like you always say yes to someone and you yeah. don't negate the premise of their yes, bit. And. Yes. And exactly. And the, especially all of like act two and three of this movie is them just yes anding each other's scam um scams that they're doing 
yeah, a lot of fun. And I feel like so many movies are lazy now, and they don't do that. They don't go through with it. They don't continue to level up. They yeah. really did on this. This movie actually didn't do that well, crazily enough. Um, uh, released December 14th, 1988, so coming up on its anniversary here. Um, a very, very busy uh, December 1988 box office. It only made $42 million total. Uh, even inflation adjusted, that's only $94 million. So it didn't even break uh, the equivalent of what would have been a $100 million um, box office. Uh, by comparison, uh, The Hustle only made $35 million. Um, so, uh, which was even more of a flop. Uh, and I think that movie was definitely seen as a, uh, as a fairly big flop. Um, but Dirty Rotten Scoundrels went on to have a very long, uh, home video and, uh, cable release and has become a, you know, another, another sort of modern classic, um. But really glad we got to get it. It's one of those things, Andy, like we talked about with Three Amigos. I think, you know, a lot of these movies didn't get the credit they deserve then. Mm -hmm. But, you know, here, 25, 30, 35 years from now, you've got Steve Martin sitting in interviews with people going, how are these movies still so popular, right? In some ways more popular now than they were then. Um, and that humor just keeps going. I mean, Only Murders in the Building is just steve martin comedy again yeah right so it, it's something that works you know melissa like you said it's just a it it's a movie that just works perpetually which is yeah. what's so great about it i think some of that though is um you you talked earlier about this run that steve martin was on i mean he was really in his heyday around this time like you know his his apex i think in a sense although he's never like truly declined he just sort of went away for a little bit then he comes back and he's always awesome you know but these i mean especially steve martin but also michael kane to an extent were like these kind of movie stars in a way that we don't see much anymore um i feel like a lot of movies you know they're these big studio things or these franchises and the people who are in them are famous for that but they're not famous in their own right if does that make sense like yeah. They're not famous as a name. They're famous as a character. Whereas Steve Martin's played so many characters that he's just famous because he's so talented because we've seen him in so much stuff. I mean, he can do this or he can do like L.A. stories or he can do Roxanne or he can do, you know, Three Amigos. You know what I'm saying? There's yeah, just totally. I mean, it's like a laundry list of things this man has done. Um, and so he was kind of larger than life because the plot is good. But there's there's no complexity to it, like in a big way. It, it's kind of a basic plot with a few little twists here and there. What makes it so great, I think, is that screen presence. That, I mean, think about like, you know, and, and yes, Ruprecht was problematic, but how many actors could pull that off? You know, um, and and the the scene where he was getting caned by Michael Caine, you know, right. like you know what I'm saying, like yeah. the physical comedy. All of that, it, there's only a handful of actors that can play it that well and make it look effortless where we don't see the acting, you know, where it feels real. And so there was that presence that that 
it, it can't be taught no matter how many acting classes you take. You know what I'm saying? Um, and so that was part of the, of, I think, how this movie came across and how good it was is that you just appreciate the hell out of the stars. And it made Glenn Headley a star, and, and rightfully so, you know? Um, she she had that presence, too. She held her own with them, which I don't think is something that every actor could do. So it, it's not just the plot or how funny or the bits, it, you know... Um, I mean, I could watch the scene where Ruprecht is like, may I go to the bathroom like a million times probably and still laugh, you know? But like, it's just the presence of those actors. Right. Yeah, absolutely. And, and you, yeah, we haven't like talked enough about how great Glenn Hetty is in this movie because you don't recognize what a great job she's done until the end when you, when we have that same we have that same reveal that, that Michael Caine does. And it's like, oh yeah, she has been so much better this entire time. And then like Brooke said, when she comes back at the very end, then it's just like, oh wow, she's, you know, she was playing a character this entire time, the same way the two of them were playing characters. And uh, she's the queen of this movie. Um, and she actually won, um, she won an award. Was it, I can't remember if it was the Golden Globe for Best New Actress or she did, she did win, um, she did win an award for that. Uh, but, and Michael Caine won uh, Best Actor at the Golden Globes. Or no, excuse me, he lost it to um, uh, some guy named Tom Hanks. Yeah. <laughs> So sorry. Um, yes, I've heard about that dude. He seems nice. Yeah, I don't know. He's only made like four good movies, though. So yeah, I don't. And I don't know if that was one of them. Uh, yeah. Okay. So so studio notes. Um, I mentioned I have I have one thing with this movie um, that I think dates it. Uh, I want to shout out the music for the vast majority of it. It's it's a lot of fun. There's a lot of like sort of jazzy numbers. They have like putting on the Ritz in there. But there's a scene where they're out horseback riding and it starts playing this like 80s electronica dance type music. And then they end up in like an 80s dance club. And it's like okay, that's the only thing that, like, dates this movie and makes it, like, uh, not as good. Where suddenly they're listening to, like, I don't know, um, Human League or something. Uh, you know, that's that's the only thing that uh, that I would change. Uh, because it, it it's also discordant with the rest of the movie. Everything else is really jazzy, really fun. Um... I think it would have been better if they would have gone to like a, you know, like a jazz club rather than like a disco. I think my big studio note is when she arrives at the hotel, her luggage tag says LAX. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> yeah. If I remember, I was like, I think that's not Switzerland or wherever she's supposed to be. Like, what is, where is she really coming from? So, um, 
It's an early sign, the con. <laughs> Her bag's still said L.A. No, this this movie is. I mean, there's little nitpicky things like I, I love the part. I love the parts where you can see Michael Caine just have to turn away from the camera and start laughing. Um, <laughs> one of the things I like, um, w- there's a lot of Golden Girls that gets watched in my house. And I love that they do parts of Golden Girls where you they just let them run and they film it. Um, so, you know, there's entire shows just based around goofs and things where they're laughing and making stuff up. I'd love to see like 20 to 25 minutes of just like post credit um, Michael Caine laughing at Steve Martin. So like my studio note is lots more Michael Caine just not being able to contain himself with Steve Martin in the credits. My my studio notes we already discussed. I mean, you know, I I also like um, like it. I didn't like you know that they they didn't necessarily like mock people with disabilities but they they used it as like a pawn in, in one of their schemes and it it's just you know it it's it's kind of icky it it didn't take away too much from my overall enjoyment of this movie i still loved it but it's just you know and, and so i would say do that but i feel like they'd ignore it based on what you're telling me about the remake because they still i mean being blind is not better or less problematic you know using that uh as as part of your con is not any better than a wheelchair it's just not so um you know they would probably just ignore that studio note it seems yeah i mean this movie's 110 minutes long i think you could like lose the ruprecht storyline and that like seven to ten minutes and you'd Mm -hmm. still have you know, an an hour and forty five minute long movie. I think that would that would be fine to like to lose that. Yeah. So, Go ahead. in addition to anything that you guys have said, my studio note would be to. Um, and sorry, JB, I didn't hear exactly what you were saying, but um, to show the outtakes at the end of the movie because I think that would have been hilarious from this one. Yes, agreement on that. Give us those outtakes. Yeah, totally. That's all. Yeah, my my only studio note would have been to like make Rubrick a drunk or something that's more you know socially acceptable to mock. I guess alcoholism still a, still a problem, is problem, still a disorder, but um, but yeah. No, no, I uh, that actually would be if you want to keep that in there. The like the scam is oh you have a a brother who you want them to like feel disgust towards you know make him yeah make him like actually disgusting or something rather than exactly yeah okay those are great studio notes um do we have any favorite one-liners or quotes there's some pretty good things in here it's hard to nail down a favorite i mean the genital cuff caught me way off guard (laughs) i'm not gonna lie i was like no i don't think i do want the genital cuff (laughs) i'm pretty (laughs) sure i'll pass on that um a shout out to danny terrio 
in the story from Dance USA. Um, that's a good one. But yeah, my, my favorite is his his jail scene. That whole quote where he spends 10 minutes trying to get, um, you know, Lawrence Jameson out. That that part was my favorite. But yeah, I, I will say I'm glad I wasn't drinking when the genital cuff line came out because I might have spit out whatever I was. Because like, where did that even come from, you know? And that that scene, the like trying to come up with the names is so classically Steve Martin. He, I, I can't think of many other actors who could do that in that same way. It's he, it's it's he's so good. That's really fun. Yeah. Who else? When Freddy says, "I've got culture coming out of my ass." Yep. Sure sounds like it. Uh, my favorite is when Ian McDermott says, "Welcome to hell." Oh, that was great. <laughs> that was very good. I, I really like that. To be with another woman that is French. To be caught that is American. <laughs> yeah. May I take your trident, sir? <laughs> <laughs> May I take your trident, sir? It's a very good line. <laughs> okay. Uh, who are our favorite side characters? I think Arthur is is Ian McDermott. Yes. He's my favorite. He's great. And also he only the has, He's my favorite, too. He only has, like, three lines, but he's just... He's so good. He's so good. Yeah, Arthur was my favorite. That's what I had. And also, it's Ian McDermott. He's like only in like eight movies, and I don't know. But it's just—it's so funny. Uh, and uh, geez, we've gone this entire podcast and haven't talked about like all the Star Wars and Muppet connections in this movie. You know, anyway, having the the emperor in the uh, as you know a guy who delivers three lines, um, that's pretty great. I mean, it's more lines than he got in the first couple of Star Wars movies. <laughs> that's true. That's true. Um, and better lines than he had to deliver in the entirety of the prequel trilogy. Oh, oh, snap. Ooh, sick burn. Burn. Shots fired. Shots fired. <laughs> Do it. Do it. Don't fall asleep. <laughs> Any, anyone else have a favorite side character? Um, I mean, I will shout out uh, Rupert Evans, who is one of the sailors. Um, mm -hmm. because he was in a Ned's Atomic Dustbin video. So, really? Yeah, I think he was in the Lunatic Magnets thing. Huh. He was the journalist. Hmm. But I agree with you. I think I, I, Andre and Andre was also great because I love how he had to fake everything, like when they're in the, the prison or in the 
the holding cell and he says to me just making stuff up and yelling and pointing at him and, but yeah i i agree i think i think arthur is i you know you go through and you look at the cast and everybody's casted as a lady from location right so right. lady with pearls lady from palm beach so um you know i guess i could shout out lady in rolls royce as a mm. great side character um but it's what? good when you only have 10 people in a film right that's, yeah. that means your stars really did good work <laughs> you know that was the other thing is you think about like this movie like oh well we should have uh you know outtakes in the uh uh, in the credits, it's like this movie's credits are like two minutes long because there's like nobody in this movie. <laughs> it's, it's, it, this is very theatrical. It's like, oh, there's only like 12 roles um, and there's not a whole lot. There's not a whole lot else going on. Uh, which is, it's, it's just really tight, really. Uh, and no CGI, which. Uh, um, okay. Um, best song. Anyone have a favorite song? Uh, I will just say putting on the Ritz then, because uh, that's that's always great. Um, make it more '80s. Make it the taco version. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I didn't know that there were multiple Gold Digger songs, but I, at this point, I much prefer the Harry Warren Gold Digger song than that other guy. He, ye who shall not be named. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, okay, is this a good movie? It is. Yes, this is a very good movie. Thank you, Melissa. This is very fun. I'm so agreed. Glad. Excellent movie. Okay, uh, is the main character? <laughs> no, no. <laughs> well, which, which? I mean, that's what's great is no matter who you consider a main character, they're all they're all crappy. Terrible. They're all dirty, rotten scoundrels. That's right. There's nobody just, in this. I just call it creative winning. Oh, smart. Nice. If, if Jameson could term. take that much money off of people, and if she's doing it in the same way of getting them to give voluntarily without feeling scammed, they're like, they're doing better than I am. <laughs> I think, Brooke, you need, a, you need some freedom fighters. Yeah. Yeah. Some little children. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Yep. And should we show this to children? Well, I did. You did? <laughs> I... <laughs> They think it's pretty tame nowadays, though. Yeah, yeah. this is a pretty tame movie, I think, overall. Yeah. Genital what cuffs didn't that? even phase her. Yeah, it doesn't even bat an eye. <laughs> <laughs> what was this rated? Is it PG-13? It was R back then. It was R? Yeah, I'm pretty what? sure it was. Oh, it wasn't. Was it really? I thought it was, because I remember no. I couldn't go see it at the theater. Huh. <laughs> Oh, is it PG now? I, I could swear it was rated higher than that. Or maybe it was just because, Andy, we were in Utah County. Yeah, maybe no, were like, my mom not. watched it, so I know it wasn't R then. But she You're, wouldn't okay. let me watch it with her. <laughs> yeah, see, that makes sense. Maybe that's what it is. I, re I remember I they said, oh, don't go without parental supervision because it's adult themes. 
Yeah, yes. adult themes. Very adult themes. Yes. Thanks a lot, Frank Oz, and your adult themes. I mean, they close the drapes and <laughs> unbutton one button. <gasps> oh, no. But I there mean, was... I gotta say... It started I with one button. Yeah, I gotta appreciate that he went and took a shower when she asked him to. Because that's oh, love. That's good. No, that's... Yeah. Yeah. You know. More men uh, need to adopt that. that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, nobody, nobody wants to, you know, have their first time with somebody be musty balls. So, <laughs> I mean, maybe we would date more men if more men would do that. Maybe yeah, they need uh, like no, no musty balls and no hairy balls. Like trim, bitches, trim. <laughs> I mean, perhaps, perhaps the flaw is none of you have the cuff. Maybe if you had the cuff, that would help. <laughs> <laughs> I, mean, all I don't think that genital cuff would lead to more sex. <laughs> only, is... only in someone's basement. Yeah, I, I was like, it depends on the relationship. <laughs> it yeah. could make it sweatier. I do. I didn't think about that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, remove genital cuff. Then shower is still necessary. And yeah. yeah. Showers yeah. can. Showers can. <laughs> Yeah. I'm glad. I'm glad we established this. I feel like we've given the people something what they useful. want. This yeah. is some Patreon level. <laughs> this is useful life advice right there. Follow, yeah. follow our. Come to our Patreon for another TED Talk. <laughs> um. Okay. <laughs> yes. Uh. Speaking of. Oh. Uh. Yes. If you will go and sign up. Uh, on our Patreon, you can sign up for just one dollar. Uh, we will start putting content on there fairly soon, uh, I promise. Um, and we also uh, announcing um, I finally made us a website. Um, so oh. if you go to kissyourfranchisegoodbye.com, there is a website that is under construction, uh, but it is functional, and there are links to everywhere you can uh find the podcast and uh i'll be putting up more stuff um yeah so so do that you can also check out the store where we will have our own kiss your franchise goodbye cuff if you can think <laughs> I, will, I will lovingly sew them <laughs> no hypoallergenic <laughs> And next to the cup will be the returning champ butt plug. Oh, man. <laughs> no, this store is off the chain. Maybe I mean, we, we've talked off about the cuff. We need, to, we need to have uh, Kiss Your Franchise Goodbye Chonklas. Hey, um, I already sent you yeah. the, the list. So that was going to be my Christmas surprise to everybody. Is I was going to get us all Chonklas. But I think <laughs> we should probably open them up to group design. And then I can get them from there. So, Andy, do you still have the links, or do you want me to resend them to everybody? Uh, you should maybe send them around. I, I, okay. I was buried somewhere. Okay, I will send, because, you know, Melissa, you inspired me, because we've been doing chonklas all over the house now. Um, when, when people do inappropriate things, we just pick up our chonklas and wave them at people. Um, so my thought was, let's do our own Kiss Your Franchise chonklas. So... I'll send around some links. You guys let me know. We'll do some pattern arrangements, whatever. Um, I'll, I'll get a bunch ordered, and then you know, we, we'll have the executive ones, obviously, and then we can sell 
for the yeah. super fans everywhere. Yeah. Yeah, I'm Did getting us. We'll, we'll get the plush ones, though. Like, yeah. like you know, that's why I call them the executive ones. For, I mean, for, I have been for. naked for this entire podcast. Also okay. on Patreon, you can Patreon. have Brooke tell Wait us a, about her. Bury <laughs> the lead, Brooke. Jeez. I yeah. was going to say, like, started you know, with that. The, this... the upper level Patreon tier could get like a pre-worn chancla from Brooke or Melissa or JB. Follow Brooke as she gets ready for her day. <laughs> Watch me get ready for my dates while we yeah. record <laughs> the podcast. I will say right. my hair's dry, totally curled, makeup on. I've gone through the whole process with you guys. Just wow. no clothes. Way to go. No, clothes okay. come last. Yeah. <laughs> uh, next week, uh, we are starting the Vengeance Trilogy. Yeah. Uh, so uh, please watch uh, the, the original old boy. Hey, all this is Future Andy with just a little bit of a correction there. I was wrong on the order in which we'd be watching these films. We are actually starting with Sympathy for Mr. Vengeance. I apologize. This is me showing off my ignorance here uh, because when I first saw these movies, I saw Old Boy first. And yeah, um, anyway, this is just be me being stupid. However, we continue to have a longer conversation about the Spike Lee remake of Old Boy, so go ahead and listen to that. But for next week, watch Sympathy for Mr. Vengeance. The good news is that is available to stream on multiple platforms, very easy to get. Old Boy, however, not available streaming anywhere. So find someone who has a DVD copy, or if you know... If you know a, a good matey that you can get it from, uh, then, you know, uh, we, of course, don't support piracy. But you know what I'm saying if uh, you have to. Anyway, get a copy of Old Boy and back to our previous discussion of the Spike Lee Old Boy. The Spike Lee remake. Please do Old not Boy. watch the Spike Lee Old Boy. <laughs> Yeah. For love of all that's holy, do not. If, if you really feel the need to, you can, but... It, if you think The Hustle not. is a bad remake, wait until you watch that oh, train wreck. I, I feel like we need to talk about it, like what went wrong, but um, but we're going to focus on the good movie instead. And uh, and uh, I'm really excited to get into this. So, yeah. it's um, a good the love series. of chonklas everywhere. That's right, and I, I will... Uh, Gladly accept, you know, I'll send the chonkas around. And if you all think of other product placement, um, let me know. And I'll search for that as well. But chonkas is where we'll start. And then, of course, yeah, I will gladly accept um, uh, <laughs> anything you would like to knit or create. <laughs> Cough or otherwise, I think it's a fantastic <laughs> I, I know how good you are at those things. So I would say... <laughs> open the floodgates <laughs> but jb will it be you accepting it or will it be chelsea well i mean i'll take i'll take it and then we can um you know pass it around so, <laughs> just, make, wow. just make sure it's steamed before it comes over to anybody <laughs> Oh my god. <laughs> wow. Okay. Some sort of stain uh, treatment on it before. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs>
and, and, and take Stain. a shower. Stain treatment. <laughs> Just don't put okay. the elephant trunk on it like you did last time. <laughs> okay. With that, we'll we'll wrap up here. Thanks everybody for listening. Uh, and uh, what a gift. Yeah, what a gift. Uh, we'll see y'all next time. Uh, uh, a big consensual kiss to everybody who wants it. Goodbye. Mm, knitting, knitting, you say. Wear it, I will. <laughs> Do it. Throw back your head and kiss it all goodbye. Thank you. That will be all. God damn it. That's not all. Because if one of those things gets down here, then that will be all. Then all this, this bullshit that you think is so important, you can just kiss all that goodbye. Well, broadsheet journalists have described my impressions as stunningly accurate. Well, they're wrong. I've not heard your Michael Caine, but I assume it would be something along the lines of, my name's Michael Caine. That is where you are Michael. so wrong. That's and you can look at my live video that's, for proof, that's, because that's, I, that's the do, very thing I don't do. What, I do, say do, that he do, used to talk do, like that. Do you, Michael Caine? OK. I say, Michael Caine used to talk like this in the 1960s, right? But that has changed. And I say that over the years, Michael's voice has come down several octaves. Let me finish. And all of the cigars and the brandy don't let me finish can now be heard. Okay. In the, I've not fucking finished in the back of the voice and the voice okay. now. Well, I've still not finished the voice. Well, you're panicking. I've, yeah, no, because you look stop. like you're about to bloody talk. Let me finish. Right, so... Michael Caine's voice now in the Batman movies and in Harry Brown. I can't go fast because Michael Caine talks very, very slowly. Right, this is how Michael Caine speaks. Michael Caine speaks to his nose like that. He gets very, very specific. It's very like that. When he gets loudly, it gets very loud indeed. It gets very specific. It's not quite nasal enough the way you're doing it, all right? You're not doing it the way he speaks. You're not doing it with the kind of... And you don't do the broken voice when he gets very emotional. When he gets very emotional indeed. She was only 16 years old. She was only 16... You're only supposed to blow the bloody doors off! That's Michael Caine. This show is part of the Geek Nerd Network. Geek Nerd Network. Find more shows like it at geeknerdnetwork.com. This is Jen.